an entrepreneur. I actually was told by seven banks, no. Seven, 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 seven. The underwriters got so comfortable, this was about 10 years ago, they got so comfortable to say, we don't believe that you can do it. You are young. One black lady, I guess she got real comfortable, was like, you a sister. We're not gonna be able to approve this loan for you. We can't, you don't have anybody in your family, your first generation. You're going off of a wing and a prayer. So you're, the best thing for you to do is just stack your money and pay for it yourself. And it wasn't until the eighth person was a Hispanic lady out of Denton, Access Bank. They told me no, and I told her, either I come down there and I will go into that board meeting or you will go back in and you will fight for me. Family, welcome to the Wealth Blueprint series where family and finance intersect. I am one of your hosts, D. Johns. Philip Washington. We got a great show today. We got Christy K in the building. You should have heard all of the talk before we hit record, but <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> so this is going to be a very interesting conversation. We're going to talk about, of course, where family and finance intersect. Christy has a wealth of knowledge and she is uh, a proponent for generational wealth. Christy, welcome to the show. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. How would you present yourself to people that don't know you? Those that are meeting you for the first time, as much of our audience probably is, how do you, how do you present yourself? Well, I am um, Christy Kay from Oak Cliff, Texas, uh, born and bred there. Um, that's important for me to tell people that because um, when they learn of all the things that I've accomplished, they assume that I come from a background that, you know, that from wealth or what have you. Um, my parents made sure that no matter where we were, even when we were, were in the heart of Oak Cliff, that I had a mindset that was going to take me out of that situation. So I lead with that. But I'm a child of God. Um, I have come to know God for myself, even though I was raised in a Christian household. It's important uh, for people to know that there's one thing to be raised in. It's a different thing to know him for yourself. So I know him for myself. Um, and I believe in God, myself, and then my spouse or child. So I'm divorced. I have a 17-year-old daughter who will be graduating next year. And she is ready to go out into the world. She's planning on going to HBCU. And so that's important to me. And then on the career side, I am a mortician. I've been in the industry um, for 26 years. I knew when I was nine years old, this is what I, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I serve God's people in this capacity every day. Um, however, I know that he has so much more for me. And so that's why I do the things that I do to help elevate others to actualize their potential as well. Yeah. So at nine years old, you knew how, like what, what kind of shape that, that is, that is, that, that's, when he said that, I was like, I was like, nine, uh -huh. you got to hear this. Yeah. So my parents, um, they've been together since they were in fifth grade. They were born and raised in Oak Cliff as well. And um, so since fifth grade, they've been together in, e in each other's lives. And so they married very young and had me um, at 20 and 21. And so they're entrepreneurs as well. They owned the largest moving company in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth at the time, back in, you know, 77. And so when I was born, my great-grandparents, um, they decided they would help them 
raise us. So we would go and spend time with my great-grandmother. And I actually knew my great-great-grandparents. So about five generations I knew. And um, she was in the Kojic church. You know, she believed in going to church every other Sunday. She would take us with us. And then one day she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And unfortunately, we were able to see her decline very rapidly over about two, two and a half years because she was allergic to all the medicines that were that was available. And so fast forward, I saw her body just completely deteriorate wow. as a kid, seven, eight year old. And I saw a family that was very open and happy and joyful all the time. One moment they're crying, the next minute they're very contemplative, the next minute they're super sad and then they're happy again. And as a seven, eight-year-old, I realized they were going through anticipatory grief, is which I what I came to learn as an adult. And so we were in the house when the paramedics pronounced her. And we went to the hospital, I mean the funeral home the next day in Oak Cliff. And I had to go to the restroom. So they told me to make a left. I decided to make a right. And I ended up in the prep room. And I stood there and I watched them embalm her. And you know, at the time. I was not shocked. I was. I felt very peaceful. Yeah, I, was, I saw the blood. I saw everything. The guy either knew I was there and didn't care or, you know, he just allowed me to watch. But I watched the entire process. And the next time I saw her, she was in a casket. She didn't wear makeup because of what she believed in, but they did cosmetize her to bring back the lifelike appearance. Her face was filled out. They put weight back on her, which I now know is a one of the things that we do in mortuary science. She had, her hair was beautiful, nails were done, and I hadn't seen her like this in years. Mm. And so when they closed the casket, you know, my family was no longer crying. The pastor made them feel better. My cousin was playing the saxophone. It was a very, you know, it was a great service. So in the limo, the family was starting to talk about her again, and we're going to Singing Hill Cemetery in Dallas. And as they were lowering her casket in the grave, I said, what does that person call to help Lolo? And my dad said, they're called a mortician. And I literally felt like the Holy Spirit coming to me at that wow. moment. Mm. I said, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. There's so, so much interesting, so many interesting points that you made. And I'm sitting here smiling because some of the things are resonating, the whole being in church and not knowing God. That's not how you put it, but that's my story, mm -hmm. right? I was very good at religion. Mm -hmm. um, parents were very strict at religion. Not until I had my own family that I realized that I had to know God for me. Yeah. And now I needed to be for my kids what my parents were for me. Like I was still trying to live off of borrowed faith as an adult. Like, hey, can y'all just send one up? Because y'all yeah. got the yeah. connection and I'm out here not living right. Mm -hmm. And um, another interesting piece was you mentioned your great grandparents. I don't have that frame of reference. So what was the, can you kind of talk a little bit about the generations in your family and what things were important. Cause you said your parents were entrepreneurs. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. But do you know generations before them? How, how much do you know about your, your family history? You know, there's, there are some gaps in my family history. Um, but for the most part on both sides, my family's made of, of entrepreneurs. They're made up of educators beauticians, barbers, um, and most of them have just basically made things work. So my mom's side is from Terrell and Hope, Arkansas. So Terrell, Texas, Hope, Arkansas. My grandfather, who's still, he's my last living grandparent. He lives in Arlington. He, his mom 
were actually slaves, like actually on plantations, like the, the plantations. And some of some of her siblings fled to California and the rest stayed in Arkansas and, you know, set up roots. And so my grandfather, my great grandfather, his father was like one of the first to do things in Arkansas. And then my grandfather followed up and was like the first one to build the pool for the black kids in Hope. And then he left there and went and got his Ph.D. in one year. Oh, like wow. literally one year and then came to Dallas and he, you know, turned J.J. Rhodes, which is a school in Dallas. They were like number 60 or probably lower than that. They were like number one in like two or three years oh, wow. in for test scores. And then on my dad's side, you know, they are all hard workers. His mom, who's now deceased, was an entrepreneur. And, you know, she did all the, you know, the multi-marketing you know, hustle things, right. you know? Yeah. And so my brother and I, who are entrepreneurs now, we just watched them make conscious decisions on, I want to serve my family. I want to do what's best for my family. I want to feed this entrepreneurial uh, piece of me, but let me still get jobs while still teaching us the importance of not having to get a nine to five. So these are things you need to do to make sure that you have the foundation that you need. So those are the kind of, you know, decisions that we saw. Like my dad, when I see him watching football now, I'm amazed because growing up, I never saw him watch football. He said, well, I was too busy out working and, and working and doing things for you all. I didn't take the time to watch football. I didn't take the time to do those things because as a father, I needed to make sure that you guys were good. Mm -hmm. My mom used to wear a house coat instead of a coat to make sure that we went to school. So we saw decisions being made for our good. And that's really helped me teach Kennedy, who doesn't really want to be an entrepreneur, but I'm teaching her because I know eventually she will want to be. Gotcha. I, I have a question. How, how do you, I feel like each, each generation expresses this, the, you know, a similar principle different. So like, like for you being an entrepreneur, you know, how do you feel like you do it different than what you observe? Or maybe you do it the same. I'm just curious about like, how you do entrepreneurship similarly or different than, than what you observed your parents or previous generations do it? So I'm not, I don't know the intricate details on how my parents started their day. All I know is when we would see them come out of the door and they were ready to go. Okay. Uh, my parents are very big on prayer. My mom's, my mom's actually a licensed professional therapist. She does Reiki. She does all those things. Um, However, for me, before, no wonder your mom looks so young. She has no stress in her life. None. Have you ever seen her mom? You think it was like her sister. Mm. No real, stress. I'll show you a picture. No awesome. stress. Yeah. And everyone that sees her, they think they're trying to figure out who's the daughter, and who's the mom. I love it. Yeah, she looks younger than I do. She's amazing. She just turned sixty-six on a, on Saturday. Um, for me, I do not. When I open up my eyes, before I even do that, I am intentional. Like, Lord, guide me. What do I eat this morning? What do I wear this morning? I have three families because when I'm dealing with grieving families, just the color of something, the smell of something will trigger them and cause them not mm. to be able to make the best decision. And so I ask for God to guide me in everything that I do. Um, and people think that it's crazy until they come and sit with me and they're like, that was mom's favorite color. I didn't know that. I said, God told me to wear this in there. And it just brings them to tears, but lets them know that th this is where that they need to be. Wow. And it just, so I don't know if my mom and dad and your know, aunts and uncles went through all of that. I just know what they showed me and they showed me what it looked like to 
pray before every meal, to be intentional about sitting at the table when it's time to eat, to ask me about how was my day and make me say more than it was good. More than it was good. More than it was good. <laughs> you know, they made me have conversations and then they allowed me to listen to them talk to other people. My dad would take us with him to negotiate car deals and when he was buying properties. And even though we were playing, he knew that we were listening. So... I'm gonna get on. I'm gonna get on task for the questions before I go down the, down the path. <laughs> uh, how would you define wealth and success? How does that hold? Like, what does that mean to you? And like, how important is it? Wealth and success to me is relative. Um, I define it is: Am I able to do what I want to do every day? You know, outside of well, the first thing is. I asked God for my businesses and I promised him once he blessed me with them that I would, one, always take care of my staff. Like, that's the first thing. I will always pay my debt. I will always uh, put myself in the position to be able to bless others. I love putting people on. Like, that's what we say in the hood, putting them on. That's, that's <laughs> everything I do. I don't care what's I can be in the grocery store and I find out that somebody's doing something I'm going to give them a chance. Now, I always say you got one time to mess up and then we can't talk again. But that's it. But it's relative to me. And how I measure that is when I go to the grocery store, can I buy whatever I want to buy? Like, do I have to pick and choose the juice that I want, either the Simply Made or the off-brand? You know, it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Do I pick the, the gum that I want? Can I go to North Park and buy Tom Ford's versus Converse? There's nothing wrong with either or, but it's my preference at that time. Right. And my preference changes, you know, every time. So I consider myself to be wealthy because at this point in my life, I can make the conscious decision to come and go and do whatever I want to do, no matter what the price tag is. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I got a question. Yeah, go ahead. So you're... Um I love what you said about being able to do kind of what you want when you want. That's the lifestyle that you've created for yourself. Your friend circle, does it, does your friend circle reflect that? Did you lose some along the way on your path to being in this place in life? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So my parents were very intentional with the way they raised us so much. So my mom did not have friends. She had friends, but I, I, I can say out of my entire life, we may have had people over at the house three times. We would go out and they would go like to card parties and stuff like that. But my parents are very intentional about who they allowed in our circle of four outside of like my grandparents or what have you. Um, and so I was, I've always been very intentional about having friends. My best friend, Summer, we've been together since fifth grade. Mm. So we've known each other since we were nine. Of course, we lost track here and there, just, you know, life stuff. She had her stuff. I had my stuff. But, you know, we have been friends. And then through, through that friendship, things have grown. Now, my parents were very intentional about making sure I was, had my book smarts, street smart. However, I had to learn the social things because at some point you can't you can't know everything you can't learn right, everything yeah. so I'm very um transparent when I say I learned how to be an adult probably when I turned 40 like mm. I'm 45 I just turned 45 in July like all the relationships that I've had and the encounters like milk like relationships like boyfriend girlfriend and marriage has been me thinking that I knew what I was doing but I really didn't know 
And so I realized that my parents instilled in me how to be a wife and how to be an entrepreneur, but I've kind of struggled with friendships. So the friends that I have now have been friends that have shown me grace that allowed me to show them grace. Um, I would say there's a, like about 10 women in my life that I can hand Kennedy to them, my daughter Kennedy to them, and trust that she's okay. And they feel the same way about me. We have different aspects of our friendships that happen. You know, some are extremely wealthy. Some are have no money whatsoever and kind of live in check to check. But we all have that intentional spirit about feeding into each other, pouring each, into each other's children and uh, serving God. And that's what's important. I'm, I'm going to ask a follow up question, because when you said that it clicked on why we got along, uh, because I get along with similar profiles as you, which is my profiles. Because when you say, when you say friends with grace, like I, I, I always sensed you were very like, like intuitive, right? Meaning like some some people some people don't present in physical form like they're going to express in the future. You know what I'm saying? But I've always luckily connected with people that express better and better over time, you know, but it was more because they, you know, like with you, you just had a good heart, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, so, it, you know, so even if something was expressed that, you know, I couldn't understand, you know, I was like, well, you know, that's not important. You know what I'm saying? Cause she has, cause she has a good heart. And so I always, I was like, Chris is going to do something. I don't have a clue what it's going to be. I was telling him before when, when you, when you, when you, uh, and that's an interesting story. I want to ask about that. But when I told him what you did and, and I said, yeah, I remember her telling him she's going to do that. And I was like, man, you know, she had like conviction. It's like a big deal. You know what I'm saying? But she pulled it off, you know? <laughs> uh, so it, it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if that was a question, but more of just the revelation of what you said. I was like, yeah, t you know, you've always been pretty intuitive. Yes. And I'm intentional as well. Yeah. You know, I'm intentional about, especially now with them saying that I have diabetes. I don't like saying that I have diabetes. Me neither. I think that my body presented the characteristics yeah. of diabetes because they can't tell me if I'm type one or type two. It's like, oh, you're in the middle. Come on now. Yeah. So that's why I have a natural doctor now, which okay. has helped me reverse mm. my diagnosis. So we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't yeah. talk about that I mean, too. I'm intentional about things and my intention is to serve God. And to please God with everything. And if you go, if that's your intention with everything, every conversation, every person that you meet, he will tell you who you should continue down the road with. It's up to you to follow that that direction. He'll tell you what to eat. He'll tell you what to say. So I believe yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I know some people listening uh, may not respect intuition, but that's a superpower. Because then you don't got to worry about figuring it out. Right. And you had that. So, yeah. So, I mean, it keeps dropping these buzzwords that that are resonating with where I'm in. Like, I just turned 44, mm -hmm. um, diabetic. And I'm wondering, I'm interested in the correlation between your health journey and your wealth journey. Mm -hmm. Did, mm. did, when you when you found out you're in the middle, <laughs> yeah. Did anything change? Did you, did you take more time for you? Did you feel like you had less time? So you did more. Did you like what, what, what about your approach to wealth building or business ownership and management changed, if at all, when your health became in question? 
You know, it, it's funny because in full transparency, I really believe, because I've, I've been relatively healthy. Well, I've been healthy most of my life. I've never really had any issues whatsoever. But I believe the more money I started to make, the more careless decisions mm. I made um, with my um, lifestyle. You know, because, you know, when I was, quote unquote, struggling, but just kind of finding my way, I had to be like, okay, let me, I could only afford, <laughs> I would eat a chicken sandwich, but I could only afford a chicken sandwich. You know, I have money in my pockets now. I can give me a ribeye and baked potato and load it up. And then let me get another shot of, and, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm living it up. You know, I'm not working out as much as I should. I'll eat a salad, but I'll get extra. Oh, it costs $4. I got it. I mean, I'm loading it up. Mm -hmm. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Snacks in between. Up late at night. I may be, I may come from working with a family and I'll stop and get a, Big Mac with extra sauce because I can, right. because it's my business and I don't, I'm not punching a clock and, you know, and so, and then I was going down the journey of a marriage that, you know, we, we were doing okay, but the intention was for us to have a child together and we got pregnant as soon as we got married, miscarriage, got pregnant again, miscarriage, two miscarriages within the first six months of the marriage. And this is as I'm climbing up the wealth ladder. And then realizing that not having a child was a deal breaker. And so as we're navigating through that and the wealth is stacking up and I have a teenager, you know, all of the success just really became mm. really insurmountable, you know. And so when I realized, uh-oh, something's wrong, it was like literally my mouth started getting really, really sweet and... I'm I'm running to the ladies' Afro room. Every, yes, God. It was it was crazy, mm. and I'm literally still pushing myself to the point where I'm crawling down the hallway of the funeral home, trying to because I can't walk anymore. I can barely speak. So Maisha takes me to the hospital. They they say, "Oh yeah, you have diabetes." Insulin. No, immediately. No, here's met here's metformin. Have a good day. What what is that? So I had glipizide metformin, but when I arrived at the doctor's office. They gave me insulin immediately. And now I'm in the middle of telling them all of the things that I do have. Mm. And the doctor said, I think you died better. I was like, nah, I don't think so. Who, who am I? Yeah. And I've told this story on another platform before, but just for reference, I'm only at the doctor because my mother made an appointment for me because she looked at me and saw someone right. Mm. And I'm 38 at this point. Wow. So that big age, my mom had to tell me, but all of these things, I'm self-medicating. I think I got some kidney issues. I'm taking, I'm taking all of these herbs and I was climbing the corporate ladder. We lived overseas. We were in Dubai for three years and we were moving back and I didn't realize how stressful that was. So if you've moved across the world, that's a different stress than moving mm -hmm. down the street of a couple of states. And we didn't know what we were gonna, I knew I was coming to Texas, but we're from Virginia. Mm -hmm. So all of that was new. I came out here by myself. I can't even make it through meetings, going to the bathroom three or four times. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is this? But get home and, um, but yeah, they had to, they had to shoot me up. And I, I kept asking the nurse, I said, is this manageable with diet and exercise? She was like, you probably gonna be on medication. It's not what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. Is it manageable with diet and exercise? And um, that night I went, I went home and I couldn't cry. Like I wanted to feel like some kind of woe is me about it, but it was like just very clear that Ish had to change. Yeah. And I changed some Ish.
Yeah. And, and, and um, I want to talk about the natural healing side too, because I'm similar. 2018, I was whatever pre-diabetic was. Uh, I started, you know, so I started reading, you know, uh, Tim Ferriss wrote a book, Four Hour Diet. But I like really got into the science of it, because uh, I'm, you know, just by nature, I'm skeptical of of what people call facts, because I don't believe in, I don't believe. <laughs> I don't believe in human knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Like it's limited based on what we know in the perspective. But I was like, let me get to the edge of this and see what they know and what they don't know so the gaps can get filled in by uh, by intuition. But uh, what what made you start the path down natural, you know, the natural healing? Yeah, so my mom, she's been on natural. My mom realized when we were kids that there was some type of imbalance with her. And so she um, started eating better and doing research. And that's when she decided to be a licensed professional counselor. And she's a counselor for celebrities. And I mean, my, my mom's really big. And so she introduced me to a guy named Dr. Phillips, um, Caucasian guy, natural doctor. And, you know, this was back when I was 17 because she wanted me to kind of have a foundation of health before I went to college because she believes I can give you the information. It's up for you to carry it on. So I went to him for a couple of times and then fast forward to now was diagnosed with diabetes in January of this year, which is 2023. My A1C was 10.1 and my sugar was 560 or something like that. Now, this is crazy. So I go into the hospital they had to wheel me into the emergency room. My husband and I had just decided that we were done, so but he had to take me to the hospital. The nurse took my blood, and she was like, oh. Yeah. And she pushed me past, every, this is like a couple months ago, pushed mm. me past everybody. I was in ICU for five, five days. So I got out, went to the endocrinologist. She said, Chrissy, I want you to know, you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. I said, that's a lie. I said, I will not live with this for the rest of my life. I said, I was completely healthy, had no issues before this. I said, something, I don't know if it's stress, something in my life has caused this. And I rebuked that. Mm. And she was like, your A1C is 10.1. You will be lucky to get under eight, maybe seven, but you're going to have this for the rest of your life. I said, I promise you, in 90 days, when you check this A1C again, it's going to be down. Hmm. The next day, I went to my natural health doctor. He's in North Richland Hills. Went to him. He did a muscle test. He told me exactly what was going on. He put me on supplements. It was 6.2, 6.3, 90 days later. She busted the door and was crying. She said she had never seen that before in her mm -hmm. life. And she apologized for telling me mm -hmm. that it was impossible. Yeah. You know. And she said, well, how did you do it? And I told her. And she said, if people knew this, you would put all of us out of business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. why. And she was like, she, she said, honestly, she's been trying to tell people that they're stuck with this and how to manage it mm -hmm. and all of that. But she was, you know, so fast forward. He's amazing. It's him and a lady named Dr. Gaspar. And I've had friends to fly in from other states that have gone to him. He does a um, muscle test. You do a food journal. He adjusts you, and if you follow his regimen, my A1C is now 5.9. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just by following his regimen. Yeah, because when, when you get, like, into the weeds of it, it's like stress puts these things called, like, free radicals into our system. You know what I'm saying? And then free radicals manifest every disease known to man. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if you can de-stress and eliminate them. Yeah. 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 I can go without insulin. I try not to, but the other night, I said, you know, let me try it. I, and my numbers did nothing. I did this all night. I coasted the whole night. Mm. I'm just it, peaceful. Amazing. Yeah. 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 
you 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 definitely when you walked through you had a a different level of glow too. I thought it was the glasses, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Can you share any? Um, well, you kind of already shared this, so I'm gonna ask a different one. Uh, you have the ability to like equally be a caring, approachable person. I feel, to people who are confident, I can see how somebody who's not confident might uh, might not say that. But like to confident people, like you're very super approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you balance that with like supreme confidence, meaning like I, I have a feeling that if the whole world said, "Hey, Christy, you're not going to be able to do this," you'd be like, to "Like, like you told the nurse, okay, just watch." So, mm-hmm. so how, how do you like? Have you always been that way? And you know, like, what do you do to maintain that confidence in the face of, like, continuing to, like, go into places that other people are afraid to go? Yeah, so, I mean, in third grade, my teacher told me I would never learn my multiplication facts. And my mom told her, you a bold-faced lie. When she gets back from th- uh, Thanksgiving break, she had me stand in front of the class, and I recited all my multi- multiplication facts. That right there showed me if this woman believes in me, then no one else can tell me no. And so I've just, you know, gone down the path. You know, I've always wanted to be a mortician, but I've done so many other things, you know. Um, And it was important for me to go to college first. I didn't see it. My parents saw it. I wanted to go straight from uh, Tag Magnet and go straight to mortuary school in Pleasant Grove. My parents were like, no, you have to do something different. You have to lay a, a stronger foundation. So I did all of that. All the things I accomplished, I worked for the FBI, I worked for the Dallas County Crime Lab. All those things, as a 22-year-old, they were like, there's no way that you could do this and be, you know, successful. I managed a funeral home at the age of 24 while I was in school for mortuary science, you know. But fast forward to being an entrepreneur, I actually was told by seven banks, no, (laughs) seven. The underwriters got so comfortable, this was about 10 years ago, they got so comfortable to say, we don't believe that you can do it. You are young, because I was 35 at the time, you're young, one black lady, I guess she got real comfortable, was like, you a sister. We're not gonna be able to approve this loan for you. We can't, you don't have anybody in your family, your first generation, you're going off of a wing and a prayer. So you're, the best thing for you to do is just stack your money and pay for it yourself. And it wasn't until the eighth person was a Hispanic lady out of Denton, Access Bank, they told me no, and I told her, either I come down there and I will go into that board meeting or you will go back in and you will fight for me. And they actually approved me. They hesitantly approved it, but then they, they had to eat their words because a year later, I was rolling. Mm. And this is, I, I bought the funeral home that was failing. So on mm. paper, they were like, there's no way we can give you all this money for a failing business. And I was like, trust me, God put this in my spirit. Like the building that I bought, I actually drew out five years before. And I literally was able to get the keys in my hand and we started work that night. So I don't take no's very well when I know that God told me yes. And it's not my fault that you have not, you haven't caught the vision. It's my job to let you see God through me so that you can catch on and let's go. And people that know me now know when I say let's go, you better come on. Because <laughs> I have, I will not and I have yet done something that God told me to do that did not uh, turn out well. So, so I got, I got two questions. One is a, uh, one is a shameless plug. Where, where'd you go to school? I went to the Townsend and Gifted Magnet High School. 
in Dallas ISD. Where else did you go to school? Uh, Hampton University. Hampton, Virginia. In, in Hampton, Virginia. <laughs> 757. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? The other question on a more serious note is growing a failed funeral home. Like, I can't even really connect the dots in my head why you want to do that or the how. What, what is, can you kind of shape the industry, give it some context of like the banks are saying no, 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 partially because of the color of your skin, maybe a lot in, in large part because of the color of your skin and maybe because you're a woman, but also a failing business you're going to turn around, that's a funeral home. Right. What is the funeral home industry like to where, what you did doesn't make sense. Not just because of business, mm -hmm. but also the the fact that it's a funeral home. Like, how do you, I'm sitting here thinking like, how do you advertise? I, I see the advertisements, but how do you convert? Yes, I mean, it's a faith journey. It's a faith walk. So I did not get into the business to make money. I got into the business to educate first, by what, serve God's family by way of education. And if they caught the vision, they caught how I serve and this they want to do, then I'm okay with it. Um, so first of all, families know that I'm not trying to sell them. I'm trying to tell you what's up because the funeral industry can be one of the most manipulative place to, um, for a consumer to, to be in because we are literally getting money from you during your most vulnerable time. And if you think about it, have you ever had to go somewhere and realize you didn't have what you needed and you had to rush to the store and what do you do? You get the first thing. You're not paying attention. And usually later you're like, why did I buy that? Why did I buy, mm -hmm. pay all that money for those jeans? You're trying to go to a party or something, a quick pair of shoes. Like, I shouldn't have spent that money. I don't want, I don't want my parents to have to deal with anything uh, manipulative. So I put that out into the atmosphere. Wherever I go, I stop and I educate people. And I tell if I know, I tell them I don't know, I make sure I get the answers. But back to the point about the funeral home, I wrote the vision five years before about how the colors, what I wanted to be, and all those things. When the bank finally told me yes, my eighth um, pursuit, and I finally got it, they told us, we want you to build. I said, okay. Because I'm not really the type of person that can walk into a dilapidated place and see the vision by myself. I, I just know that's not my strength. So I said, okay, I don't mind building, but I would love to just walk into something because God is telling me my time is now, mm -hmm. right? So I went on LoopNet, found some land in Mansfield. I'm from Dallas. I lived in Cedar Hill, had heard of Mansfield, but only been there one time. Didn't know anything about it. It just seemed like a foreign place to me. And it was literally right on the other side of the water from me. So my former business partner at the time, I, I actually uh, bought out all my business partners. I'm now 100% owner. So we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but we shall. She and I jumped in the car and we just started riding around. So I found some land and I called the realtor and I said, hey, um, I want to op open a funeral home. I want to build it. I've already been pre-approved. I have my pre-approved letter. Can you tell me next steps about Mansfield? I'm not uh, familiar. <laughs> the realtor was like, I'm not trying to be really rude, but I can tell that you're a black woman. And I this is from a phone call. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can tell that you're a black woman, and Mansfield is not the place for anybody black to build. Mm. So I want to save you the heartache. I don't want you to have to spend the money to get an SUP because it costs like 2500 Something like it's it's money to get an SUP. Um, I don't want you to spend money to get an SUP just to get denied. So if I hear of anything, I'll let you know. But building, I don't suggest it. 
I said, okay. I said, well, I appreciate you for your candor, but I'm good. I want you to call me back if something else pops off. Two weeks later, he emails me, hey, the owners of Mansfield Funeral Home want to sell, but they wanted to stay private. Are you still interested? I said, absolutely. Pray about it. She and I go in, walk boldly in there. I start crying. It's the exact building I drew out five really? years before. Wow. Colors, floors, furniture, everything. They sold everything. They literally handed me the computers and all. Wow. Six months later, handed me the keys on August 11th, 2016, and I got my first case that night. Wow. Was seeing families the next day. Now, I was working a full-time job. My plan was to stay working and allow the employee that was left over to stay there. Realized that that person needed some support, quit my job. I went from making like $106,000 to being self-employed, 100%. Mm. Mm. Yep. Know what that drop off looks like? <laughs> My last day in uh, Quote America was October third, two thousand twenty-two. So this, like, so this whole faith journey thing is like everything is resonating. I'm trying to remember that I'm supposed to be facilitating, yeah, <laughs> and not just an audience member. Um, you said you got your first case that night, so that that kind of that's kind of where I wanted to go with um, understanding the business. Was that case from? The fact that the home was existing already and somebody just showed up and said, hey, we need a service or what are you were you marketing? Like, do people know you for. That or like, how did how did how did you get your business? So people that know me know that I've always wanted to be a mortician. So when they hear about me having a funeral home, like, oh, great. Um, but that particular case came from it being an existing funeral home. Now, the question is, how can a funeral home be failing? And me using the word failing, I use it carefully not to cause any disrespect towards the people that I purchased it from sure. because it was it was hard work for them. Mm -hmm. they, they provided for their families. The sale helped their families. So, hey, so I don't use that word maliciously. Um, but the people called because it was called Mansfield Funeral Home. They lived in Mansfield. But for them, they didn't do any marketing. They admitted that they only did word of mouth and like smaller. They were part of the chamber and things like that. But the business didn't do as well because they didn't really do the mass marketing that they should. But at that time, funeral homes weren't really embracing social media mm. like we are now. So I'm probably one of the first ones to jump out there and be bold with the social media because it can be very um, a very touchy subject. I remember my Valentine's post on my first Facebook page. I was wishing everyone happy Valentine's Day. And I literally was writing a second post to talk about those who have lost their loved ones. And this lady DM me and was so mad. How dare you a funeral home uh, celebrate and embrace Valentine's Day when I don't have my husband? And I was like, ma'am, I promise you, I was literally posting something else speaking to that. And so I learned, let me lead with that first. Let me be more sensitive. But those are some of the reasons why funeral homes don't embrace social media because they don't want to step on toes. Mm -hmm. But since I'm so intentional about what I do, I pray about anything that we post before I post it so that people can see the heart of and the reason why we're posting it. So did I, I hope I answered your question. You did, you okay. did. And, but, and before we go further, I want to pause for a break here from a sponsor, We'll Be Right Black. And so, so many people in the journey of learning or the journey of uh, expanding their wealth, when you only focus on the condition or the child, like you, you, you miss the pleasure of the journey, right? It's like speeding through 
that creative process for creating a child. That's not it's not not as fun if you like speed through that process, right? The the longer the more drawn out the process, the better the experience. This episode is sponsored by the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other major podcasting platform. All right, we're Black at it with Christy K. Um, I know you've been enjoying the conversation this far. We're going to get right back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I want to follow up because you, you said something that um, I resonated with, and I want to get your thoughts. So, like, because uh, I grew my business through social media too. And so you go through the, you know, I, I've been one that I've never, I'm, I'm trying to say this in a way where it's not insensitive, but I've, I've never really cared what people think. Like, I care about people. But when I say I don't care what you think, like, if, if you think something that's counter to what I think that's not positive, then, like, you can literally miss me because I'm just not going to hear you. Uh, and so, like, balancing sensitivity with me has been a, a, a journey because, like, I just don't care what you think. <laughs> you know? And so, and so you mentioned posting on social media and balancing it. And uh, and I guess you mentioned prayer, but like, what's your indicator that, uh, you know, like what you're doing is, you know, because uh, right, because you could post stuff and people that are on a different negative frequency are going to feel how they feel regardless. Right. You know what I mean? So how, how do you, you know, what's been your experience with that? Um, so I, I uh, meditate daily and I listen to what's called Abraham Hicks. I love her. Yes. And I actually have a um, tattoo that says vibrate higher. And so. I get it now. Like, <laughs> I get it. Um, I listen to her and, and I also only listen when I feel led to because I do my best not to be addicted to anything. I have to make sure that I'm listening to God and God directs me. So whenever I do pull up YouTube and one of the meditations or whatever comes up, it's exactly what I need for that time is because God led me. Some people, they just do it just to be doing it. No, it has to be led. And the way I know that I'm doing things right is if I get goosebumps. And people feel like goosebumps is just, oh, it gave me goosebumps. No, like I literally was, my body would literally start to vibrate. So like, for instance, when you reached out to me about the podcast, I kind of took a moment because I prayed about it. I literally started vibrating about it. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Hey, you heard it here first. <laughs> we got people vibing. Yeah. Um, but that that's how I lead. And so before we post something, before I do anything, I ask God to direct me. Now, some things I have to, okay, Lord, please direct me. And I got to just kind of start down that path. But at any moment, I feel like I need to pivot. I don't mind pivoting. Like I will literally be in a meeting and I'm like, you know what? This no longer serves me. You guys have a blessed day. Hmm. And I will get up and I will leave. And if they are upset about it, there's nothing that I'm willing to do about it because God told me to leave. And every time there's a reason why mm-hmm. I've had, I should have gotten up for whatever reason. So, No, I, I definitely resonate with that. Yeah. How, lo- how low has, um, what's the lowest God has allowed you to see or feel? <laughs> My goodness. Um, having a miscarriage at the funeral home mm. it's layered yeah yep so yeah yeah that's real yeah it's real Oof. and it was really because you know he kept telling he kept putting in my spirit you know to slow down 
And I'm like, no, I got to serve. I got to serve. I got to serve. I knew I shouldn't have been going into the prep room. I'm an embalmer as well, but, you know, I stopped embalming to make sure I was still going to the prep room. I'm still running around. I'm still not taking care of myself. And in my funeral. That, yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to vote oh, that. It's part of it. it jumped out to me when you said, I don't want to be addicted to anything of, I might be paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's in direct conflict with, with, with what most very successful people say. Yeah. I'm addicted to the work. I'm addicted to the grind. I'm addicted to understanding everything about this industry. But you realize that, or you were shown that um, the addiction in any sense mm-hmm. doesn't always serve you. No. Mm. Yeah. I don't think I could probably say I'm addicted to a serving God. Like, cause I've, I've been on the other side where I stopped praying as fervently as I was because I'm like, Lord, please help me to get to a certain amount of success. And once I got there, I'm close and I'm doing well. And I, by the time I realized, wait a minute, what's, <laughs> what's going on? It's because I wasn't praying like I was to get there. And I was like, and I tell, you know, my daughter, anybody that listens, you have to pray just as hard once you're there as you are trying to get there because you want to stay there. Yeah. You know, and once I caught that, it's, you know how you like the wind catches you go right back up. It's like I'm back on the upswing. But I would say me laying in the hospital in January, I'm laying there like there is no reason why I should be laying here except for the fact that I have stopped praying the way that I, I mean, I love God, you know, I am grateful. I show gratitude, but it's kind of like, thanks. God, God <laughs> I, I believe God is the author of keep that same energy. Keep <laughs> that same energy. Keep that same energy. Yeah. Um, that was powerful. I need that. Thank you for mentioning that. I think I'm, I'm learning to, uh, I'm learning to follow. I knew God was the leader. I didn't always like following. I know that's and it, right. This whole thing of, like I, as I climb the corporate ladder and things happen um, the way that I want and beyond how I wanted them to happen to me, um, like I lost sight mm-hmm. and I got the big, I've been saying I want out of corporate, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, we're gonna start, we're going to start going to build our own business. But it's one thing to say that. And then every two weeks, the same thing happens and you're at your bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I would um, kind of mask anything that I was doing entrepreneurial wise as I'm just trying this because I got success. Mm-hmm. I can, I introduce myself as this thing. Right. But if I felt like I was being led this way, I wasn't honoring it. And, um, now we all in, uh, my wife as well. So it's a different, it's a different, um, level of trust. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you say you trust God, we trust God until you have to. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like when you don't see it, Hmm. Me before, it's like, man, I messed up the money. I got to get to this next check. I know the check is coming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> like, today, nothing deposited, and that's on me. Um, but it is, it's, it's really interesting how successful in Christ and successful from a worldly perspective, how those two different individuals live that journey. Mm-hmm. And sometimes one is envious of the other. Yeah. But I've been. Yeah. And I always talk about, you know, because you can't see God's face, which is like, I'm going to follow up and ask you this question. It's on that on that relation. So, like, I have a question here on wealth. Right. And how do you plan to teach your kids about wealth? But, you know, now that 
everybody, you know, I knew this about you, but now that you've kind of put it out there, I know, I know to you, wealth is just a expression of how you feel, right? So like the goal isn't, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like with you, the driver is not wealth, it's just expressing God's nature in you, right? Which, which is a feeling, you know, so how do you, and, and it's, and it, it's, you, you have to think opposite of like the world, right? Because the world places value in the money, in the title, in the recognition. And the more you buy into that, the less it flows, right? right. So, so how do you teach your loved ones, people who look up to you, your daughter, like how do you teach them that when it's just so counter to everything that we learn, right? Because right. like even when we know it, you know, I know I have gaps in a day where I'm like, oh, I'm trying too hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I believe I can be, do, and have anything that my heart that my heart desires, and specifically the way I raise Kennedy is I allow her to see me go through the ebbs and flows of doing what I love to do, having to do things that I really would not really want to do, but it's necessary to get to the next level. I'm very transparent with her. Um, I don't believe in do as I say, not as I do. I believe in telling her the why. I've always explained myself to Kennedy and I've actually been ridiculed for that. I've always explained myself to my staff and I've been ridiculed for that. Um, even from other funeral home owners, I've been ridiculed for allowing Kennedy to come with me to when I'm receiving awards and accolades and bringing my staff with me um, on my gap. My, my staff is um, in VIP for my galas and they're wearing beautiful ball gowns right there with me. Most of my marketing, I'm not in the middle because it's important for them to feel that nature of wealth with me so that we can all manifest it together. Mm. It's important if you know, somebody on my staff tells me they like this certain thing for me to say, what can I do to get you to that? When Kennedy says, I want these specific pair of shoes, I don't know, I don't tell her that's too expensive. I ask her, How, what, do, what do you think is the best way to get to hmm. your goal? Hmm. And I don't, I don't make, I don't tell her to stop thinking, like stop thinking about that or stop wanting that. No, I want you to want things. The, the thing is, is how are you going to accomplish what you want? How are you going to get there? And I help her create a roadmap to that. Hmm. I help my staff create a roadmap to whatever they want. I, I will play Abraham Hicks out loud at work. And I don't care. Well, it's my business, so you're going to have to listen to it. <laughs> but I know that they're listening so much, so they'll come back and say, you know what? I overheard that person saying this. What did that mean? We'll sit. I'll stop everything and sit down, and I'll speak life into them and then to their children and all those things. But that's because they're attached to me. So you, um, I, I love that. Any, like, the whole let's figure it out. Um, a lot of us that look like us, grew up in, um, grew up with parents that were doing their best, right? But when you go in the store, it's the, don't touch nothing. Don't ask me for mm -hmm. nothing. And even if that's not the application, I realize in other aspects of my life, I've, I've kind of put those measures in place because I didn't want to be embarrassed about a thing. Mm -hmm. Were you ever, it doesn't sound like, but I'm going to ask, were you ever like, did, didn't have enough knowledge 
to teach your your children, your your daughter and those around you the way that you teach them now? Were you apprehensive? That's a better question. Were you ever apprehensive about sharing that information at any point? Um, I've always, my goal was always to be an intentional parent. Mm. But life just kind of got in the way, especially earlier on. You know, Kennedy's dad and I, uh, we were having, you know, concerns when we got pregnant with her. And so it's kind of like, let's go ahead and continue down this road. Let's do our best. And then we decided after she was born, this is not going to work. So Kennedy was never in a house with her biological parents, you know, but we were very intentional. He saw her once a month from the day she was born until COVID hit. He never missed a month. Even when we moved to Oklahoma, we would meet in Dallas. He never missed a month, never missed a child support payment. So those type of foundational things, and I made sure that she knew that. Um, he and I were very intentional about how we talked to her about life. We made sure, well, I can, I'll speak for me. I made sure as a, as a mom that she saw that I am a flawed person. And I made sure that she understood you're going to be an adult longer than a child. So I'm not going to sit here and talk baby talk to you and placate you and, and hold your hand. And now should I have been a little softer on some things? Probably. Because now I'm having to backtrack like, okay, okay, I realize I should have done this differently. Let me now show you from a woman's perspective how you should flow in relationships. You know, I've been married three times. I just divorced my third husband. That's a whole nother story. She has been able to see, and her father's been married a couple of times. So she's been able to see two people who grew up in households of parents, we lived, we, I had both my biological parents been married 46 years. Her dad's parents were married until his father, you know, passed. Those two people who grew up in healthy households now are having unhealthy marriages. Mm. So she's been able to see that. And we've given her a front row seat to that. Now, again, we've been ridiculed for that. But now she's able to now go through relationships and see what works for her. She does not settle for just whatever person comes to her life and shows her a little bit of affection because she sees what happens when you settle. She sees what happened when her mom settles. She sees what happened when her dad settles. And so would I change anything? I wish I had more resources, resources earlier because my parents didn't really hit their lick until I was a sophomore in, in high school. So I've been, I mean, in college. So I've been working since I was like 14 to help, Yeah, you know, my brother was in the household when they hit their leg. So Kennedy, literally, we, I literally averaged about 50 cents in my account, 50 cents in my account for years. Mm. So much so to where whatever I ate was the leftovers from what she was eating. And I remember when I finally started making money, the guy that I was dating was like, why does Kennedy always leave her food on the counter? Instead of throwing the food away. And I was like, well, she's used to doing that because that was my dinner. She didn't know. I just would tell her, don't throw your food away. Mm. And when she go to when, when she go wow. to bed, I'd be like, let me eat, you know. Mm. And that was for years. So now she's able, she has my credit card. I, she has a spending limit. She understands, don't go over 30% of your spending limit. You have a job, I need you to pay your whatever your balance is. She pays me my balance back. You know, so now I'm starting to show her different ways of, of moving. I think too often we, um, 
we wait until we have common traumas and we celebrate them mm -hmm. versus having these conversations about, I did this thing. It was bad. It wasn't the most, it wasn't the smartest thing. I shouldn't say things are bad. I mean, do bad things, but it wasn't, I didn't make the wisest decision. Right. Hiding it from your children makes them susceptible to making the least wise Absolutely. decision as Absolutely. well. So, and, and, I, and I like what you said about, uh, you know, because as you were saying it, I was thinking it and you took the conversation that way. I, I think some people might say, uh, I call it the mind of Caesar. The world might say, oh, man, you know, uh, got a buddy who's going to give the story better. Got a boy, buddy, uh, a, a loose friend of mine, a lot of loose friend of mine are going through it, but a loose friend of mine had a uh, divorce. And the question he asked me was, hey, man, you know, I'm worried about my kids. Da, 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 da. And I say, hey, they're young. They're going to be resilient. And I was like, but divorce doesn't mean like you're a failure. As a, as a matter of fact, if you have the right perspective, it can teach your kids because there's a lot of people who are married. At least, you know, I look at me and Kelly as evolving people anyway. So I'm not even the same person she's married. You, you know be. what I'm saying? Nor, yeah. nor is she. So it's more like, you know, we can continue to, to continue to do life together mm -hmm. uh, as we evolve or not. But I don't see it as a, as a success or failure. And, and you kind of. You kind of said that and you said, you know, your daughter learned from it. So like, yeah. you want to elaborate on, on that idea? Cause you, you loosely said it, but I took away from it. He was like, nah, divorce is not, it's not, it's not a failure. It's just a part of my journey. Yeah. So my mom, like I said, my mom's a, a licensed professional counselor. And so she's been my counselor my whole life. Uh, so she basically was telling me that up until I evolved into the woman that I am now, I was picking men according to my needs at that moment. Wow. Not necessarily for the rest of my life. So, and that's no knock on the guys, you know, Candy's dad, amazing father. You know, I was just super young. I was 27. Remember I told you socially I matured right. later. Right, right. You know, I'm up here playing an adult. I didn't know what a relationship was. I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm 27. It's time for me to have a kid. He's a great guy. Let's do it. You know, and so once I realized this wasn't the best decision, I was like, okay, let me pivot. Let me move on. A couple of relationships after that, dated a guy, moved to Oklahoma. It just didn't work out. It wasn't the best environment for Kennedy not to be in. Then we moved back. So it's just important. And I think I may have missed the question. Um, it's important for me. Can you repeat? Yeah, it was just more your perspective on moving through, a, like separating from a relationship and seeing it. Not as a failure, which I oh. think is super mean. I picked up on that, and I think it's a pretty dope perspective. Yeah, so I don't see, I know the outside in, it's like, dang, she's been married three, you know, three times. I've learned something from every single one of those relationships. But what I also learned is I did not pick those people with God first in mind and then myself in mind. Specifically, my last marriage, great guy. He and I are still friends or what have you, but I chose him as a mother in a mother mindset. I didn't choose him as an entrepreneur mm. in an entrepreneur mindset because as a, as a woman entrepreneur, I can't speak for men, but as a woman entrepreneur, we have to have our husbands having our back as far as they don't have to physically be in the business, but they need to be able to jump in and help 
And we don't like women that are entrepreneurs. Most times I like to ask for help because we're so used to delegating. We don't feel like that we should have to delegate at the home as well. Mm. So if I am delegating to everyone else and you see me moving and shaking and you just sitting there, I need you to get up. You know, and so I didn't pick with my entrepreneurial mind, which is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. life. Yeah. I'm not going to be a mother with a child in the home for the rest of my life. She's going to be gone in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, and so once I realized that mm. the the way I chose my husband did not serve me long term, that's when I was able to reconcile and to come to him in a transparent way. Like, you know what? This is not working. And these are things, this is the reason why it's not working. And now that I've, you know, went over that hump, I feel better. I feel lighter because I chose myself as the person that God made me to be. He made Mm -hmm. me to be an entrepreneur, to serve Mm -hmm. God people in this way. So I will only allow people in my space that will help foster that in their own way. I love that. Yeah. And it's the same for men. I think Kelly is, I couldn't do it without, you know, Kelly's support because like we're intertwined. So I think it's a, you know, she's not in the business, but. You know, yeah, she, she supports. Su- she you. supported, yeah, infinite ways. So mm-hmm. that's great. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning. I was listening. Of course, I was listening. But my wife is an entrepreneur, and I'm used to her supporting me. So now it's um, it's kind of a weird space, and it sounds crazy for me to support her in that way, to see her in that way, and support her in that way. Not not even see her in that way, but she is um. Like we're making investments in her and her business and her success. And I had to realize that um, even though I'm not a spotlight guy, I know when the spotlight is on me. It feels kind of okay. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But to turn but turn that energy to her and take it um as serious as she took all of the moves we've made for me has been an adjustment mm-hmm. for me. So listening to you say that about aligning uh, makes a whole lot of sense. If if you were to consider another relationship, what wealth principles are mandatory for you, like in terms of alignment? Um, so I, the person definitely, they don't have to have more like financially than me, but they have to be able to, to help me elevate my mindset. So they have to already be Fully vested in the mindset of elevation on all things because I don't, I get tired of always having to bring up, bring up, bring up. I don't mind doing it, but sometimes I want to lay, I want to lay down in the person I'm with to cover me, hmm. to think for me and the decisions that they're making. I know it's going to take me to the next level. Nah, so what do you think? <laughs> Tell me. I want to be told sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm so busy telling, 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 telling. So that's important to me. Mm. But one thing I wanted to bring up when it comes to one spouse being in the spotlight, spotlight in the other, is what the spouses don't realize is that if you're supporting the person that owns the business, you're more in the spotlight than the person that owns the business because people are looking at who they're connected to to see if they can trust that person. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, that when I'm, it got to the point where I was going places by myself because, or with my CEO, Maisha, and people knew that I was married because I knew that the person I was with, 
did not want to be there. They'd rather be watching TV and football and things like that. And so some people were like, well, if your own spouse is not here supporting you, how is it that you expect me to believe in what you have going on? I'm like, that's interesting. So I also have to be with somebody who knows their role. Yeah. If I'm at an event and I'm at a function, I don't need you right here with me. I need you on the other side of the, I'm sorry, on the other side of the room pushing the brand. I need you to be confident knowing that I'm over here taking care of business. You're over there. Let's divide and conquer. Mm. It's okay to be Christy's husband because Christy's going to honor her husband in all things. That doesn't mean you're any less that Christy is in the spotlight and you are not. But a lot of guys, they, can, they say they can until they in it. And the moment, you know, men are asking me for questions to give me their cards and all that. Well, they just they just want to sleep with you. Most men do. <laughs> it's up to me to reciprocate. And I, and I tell people all the time, the guys all the time, you're not a, you think you're the only one that's attracted to me. There's other guys. So you have to allow me to be grown enough. The business card exchange is not going. That does not mean anything. But I'm telling you, it's 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 a jungle out here. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are a trip. Yeah, I think I, yeah. I think we're definitely going through like a generational shift of um of you know you have the new generation which is and I'm appreciative of it pushing the boundaries of uh, they call it gender fluidity but like you know like what does it mean I get hit on by gay dudes all the time mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying because I'm a I think I'm a pretty decent balance of male and female energy. And so, like, you know, like, dudes like that because they're like, man, he's a man, but he's also attractive, you know, and I feel safe. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I don't get all bent out of shape, but I'm, I'm saying to say, uh, I think we're going through that transition where, like you said, men, you know, um, men, we're have, you know, we're going to have to learn to just be like, hey, man, I don't, I don't have to be the smartest, you know, when it comes to money and still maintain confidence because, like, right, the confidence is important. Like, the security is important. Yeah. Uh, so I like that you said that because yeah, that is a it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of men who would struggle uh, doing that. They want to be with a boss, so they say. They want to be a part of the lifestyle. They want to benefit from the lifestyle, but then they want to hinder the advancement of it. I'm looking around like you can't you can't do that. It's just like you know, men are some men are like we want the women to still go to work, but then still take care of the house and the kids and still be intimate and all that. We cannot do everything. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't want to be traditional on this road. The traditional way is I was at home taking care of the house, taking care of the kids, so I had energy to take care of you later while you go out. But since you want the lifestyle to be a certain way, so you want my income as well, you can't have it both ways. Can't do it. She has spoken. Transition, <laughs> transition she spoken. period. She has spoken. That's a touchy subject. Hey, look, that's going that, to that's gonna, that's gonna spread on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was after we started recording, but you mentioned that you, um, you started your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. What's that about? So Christy K Foundation is basically an opportunity for me to go out and support those who either aspire to be entrepreneurs who have started entrepreneurship and need some guidance or have been in the game and have kind of plateaued. I have so many contacts, Philip being one of them, my financial, my wealth advisor, that I can say, hey, call this person. He's actually a wealth advisor? 
He's mine. Okay, I, I didn't I didn't check your credentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's mine. <laughs> yeah, he's excellent. And but I I literally can give them my content, my my contacts. I can give them my contacts, and they are well on their way from SBA lenders to non other nonprofit people to. CPAs, bookkeepers, and these are people that I have literally vetted that have blessed my life. And because they've, they've blessed my life, they're willing to bless anybody that I send them. And I tell them, none of us believe in working for free. Right. If, if somebody offers me free service, I usually turn it down. Because there has to be, you have to value something that we can barter, we can exchange. But if you say it's completely free, I'm looking at you like, mm, <laughs> something about this is not right. I'd rather pay you. Um, but it's just it's just important for my foundation to uplift and edify and empower people to continue down the path that they want to choose. And also to let people know that everyone is not meant to be entrepreneur. Amen. Just because you can cook in your kitchen does not mean that you need to own a restaurant. Don't open that food truck. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not so your ministry. I, people, people hire me, have hired me to actually have open conversations about what they should do in the mortuary business. They say, I want to be a funeral director and a bomber. Baby, you can't make a definitive decision to save your life. You cannot be trusted to follow the statutes of the state of Texas. You need to be in the prep room. You're very good with your hands. You're very artistic. I think you should be in the prep room. You'll be a better embalmer. So the, the foundation, our mission is to just support people who want to do better for themselves. Dope, dope. All of that will be in the link below. I think this one is important. What advice do you have for women entrepreneurs who may feel discouraged or face setbacks in their funding journey? My advice would be to make sure whatever journey that you're on is God-led, God-centered, to make sure those who you consider to be supportive are actually supportive. And I follow four principles of giving. And this is what which, which has helped me, especially when things were a little dicey at, at the funeral home. Um, the four aspects of giving are first, first fruits, tithing, alms, and offering. And if you follow that, you absolutely will be able to take your mindset and your business to the next level. But you have to be intentional on doing God's work. Never go into a business to make money. It needs to be profitable, but if you're leading with money, people are going to be able to feel that. You, you, you mind breaking those down first? Simple, you don't got to oh, go super fruits, long. Yeah. Yeah, for so first fruits is, for me, first fruits is anything after January 1st, any money that I get above and beyond what my normal, how I normal pay myself. So I pay myself a salary. So I'm a LLC escort, which allows me to have payroll. And so anything that I make above that for the first time, I give that to somebody. So it could be one, the first year it was like $10. The next year, I think it was like 300. The next year it was like 1500. And then one year it was like $8,000. And I literally wrote the check to, and I, I pray from like November to January 1st on who should get that first fruit. That is planting the seed in the ground, just like a farmer. They plant the seed in the ground and they wait for the harvest. So that is my way of telling God, I trust that this money is going to bless their lives and it's a way for me to set my intentions for the year. That's my first fruit. Tithing is, we all know what the tithing is, giving 10%. There are different doctrines on what is really 10% of and all that. 
I was raised 10% off of my growth, off of my growth. That works for me. I tie, I even tied my child support. I always have. Everything. I don't care if you give me a dollar. I am literally uh putting in my app to my church. I'm giving 10% of, of that dollar. Mm. And I do that for my business as well. And so that, and and one thing I did learn, I used to just tithe until I learned about the other aspects, and I couldn't figure out why was I only getting just enough. I was, all my bills were getting paid, everything was being taken care of, but I really have anything left over. My mom taught me, she was like, God promises to take care of you. That's what tithing is for. To get into the overflow, into the increases when you start doing more, doing for people. So then you have the alms. Alms is given for people in need. When you give money to people on the corner or somebody calls you and says, hey, I need something, and you give that. Mm -hmm. Those are things you don't speak about because you'll curse I believe that you you curse what you give yeah. when you speak about when you give to other people. Offerings when you give to somebody just because. When you're like, you know what, I want to bless you. And I don't even need it. Good. Because you get blessed when you give to people who don't even need it. Man, it's been it's been a uh it's been a great conversation. Um thank you, number one, for for trusting the platform for the goosebumps. I appreciate that. <laughs> um where can people find you if they're looking for you? So they can find me on uh Facebook which is Mansfield Funeral Home. Um, also, I'm opening my uh, third location in Frisco. So that starts October 1st. I'm, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so we'll be in Frisco. Um, we're in Mansfield, Texas. Um, I have my crematory in Mansfield now. So I'm the first woman to own a crematory in Tarrant County mm. and the first and only woman in African-American to own a combo funeral home and crematory in uh, Mansfield. Nice. And so you can also find me on Instagram. Um, you can go to Amethyst Gala, which is a part of my foundation. And you can just, you know, give me a call or come by the funeral home. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it. Oh, let me get this on camera. You will come back, right? Absolutely. Because there's like three, you're in one podcast right now, but there's like four or five represented <laughs> in this room. <laughs> uh, and I, won't, I won't plug them all right now, but I think, yeah, I thank you for the wealth of information. I think your perspective is necessary. Thank you. And I'd love to get it in some other uh, applications, but that's going to do it for us. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace. Yeah. Thanks for coming.